To boot camp, Parshat Va'ira, Tufshin Pe'alif. We again are very grateful to our season sponsors, Alana Mark Rothenberg, Rachel Feiner, sponsoring in memory of Alana Rachel's father, Azriel Benyako Feiner, and sponsors for today, Charlene Myron Shulman, Lili Nishmas, Charlene's father, Avraham Ben Aryeh. I'm very excited to share some insights into Parshat Va'ira. New insights for me, hopefully for you as well. Let's jump right into the Rabbeinu Bachia. When you read about Paro and his stubborn arrogance, do we think only about him? Maybe we also think about historical and even contemporary leaders? Or, going even deeper, maybe we should think about ourselves, some self-reflection and analysis. Paro thinks it's his palace, it's his house, and no one else's. He thinks the Nile is his, the god of the entire Egypt, and that his status and that his property, his summer home and his winter home will protect him. Do we ever think this way, that we can lock ourselves into our homes and be protected maybe with big gates and big homes? You know, Rabbi Soloveitchik pointed out that a Jew is not really supposed to have gates in front of his house or her house because there always should be access from the common man, should feel they could come inside. Materialism at times becomes an illusion, and it makes us delusional. This is not Shalom Baum speaking. This is the great Rabbeinu Bachia. You see, the Rabbeinu Bachia, who is often identified as the Talmud of the Ramban, it's not totally accurate. He was a student of the Ramban's students. In Spain, he was a student of the great Halachas, the Rashba, the Goda Ador, who was living in Barcelona from 1235 to 1310, and less known but extremely important for Rabbeinu Bachia's commentary on Chumash is that he was also a Talmud of Rabbeinu Yon of Gerona, who passed away in 1263. And Rabbeinu Bachia, who wrote his incredible commentary on Chumash, Rabbeinu Bachia ben Asher, 1255 to 1340, what he includes in his commentary is not only analysis of the pshat, of the simple reading which is important, to the opposite extreme he also includes Kabbalah, which I personally don't understand, but he has many homiletical interpretations, Agada, as well as some other things as well. And in almost every single parsha, he introduces the parsha as I did today, with Musr, with Ashkafa. And he asks us to see ourselves in the story. Much of his introduction is based on Rabbeinu Yonah's commentary <coughs> on the book of Mishle. And I'll just give you an example from the beginning of Pasha Ve'era. This is a pasuk that he quotes from Proverbs 28.14, Mishle, Chavches Yudalit. Ashrei Adam Mefachei Tamit. Happy is the man <coughs> who is always anxious. He doesn't mean over here clinical anxiety, but he means to watch ourselves. But listen to this. He who hardens his heart, I'm finishing the rest in English, will fall into misfortune. And what he goes on to tell us is that Shlomo HaMelech was not just talking here about terrible figures, non-Jewish figures. He warns us, us great Jewish people, not to be hard-hearted as a nation, as individuals, in order to avoid being punished. And the way he explains this, from one aspect, in light of Paro, 
He says, if you look throughout this parsha, and we'll continue with this next week, Moshe and Aaron are consistently visiting Paro in one of two locations. In the palace, Boel Paro, go inside to his palace, Hashem says, and at other times we're seeing that they visit him, Asfas Hayor. Why do we need to know the venue of these visitations? And Rabbeinu Bachya establishes, and it's very detailed, but I'm going to give you the bottom line, is that these are two places that created a false sense of security for Paro, or this man of arrogance hid behind his great palace, or hid behind his position as the so-called god of the Nile, and he said, no one's going to touch me. Whose house is this? This is my house. No one else has access because I am the creator and I am the sustainer. That's what Paro was saying about himself, sounding godlike. And Moshe said, no problem, I'll walk right in. Rabbeinu Bachia says this is a pattern of self-defeating leaders. He quotes an incredible insight based on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel says, The entire Bavel, the whole Babylon, is my house, is my royal dwelling place. This is in the fourth parak of Daniel, Pasuk of Zion. You can look in Pasuk Aleph as well. He doesn't mention this when it comes to Achashverosh, but we see this as well. Achashverosh said, in order to come into my palace, into my room, you need special permission. But Rabbeinu Bachya then pushes it to all of us. Do we have that false sense of confidence, what he calls gaiva, arrogance, to believe that our possessions, first of all, are ours, and second of all, that they could actually protect us? that we don't want to allow ourselves to have that sense of vulnerability, of humility. This is a common situation. The reason why we learn about the fact that Paro said, my palace is my control, the Nile is under my domain, is not only that we walk away and say, what a fool, that he continued to harden his heart, but we should learn that not only did he harden his heart because of his arrogance, But all of us at times, we do so as well. And I'd say, especially when it comes to materialism, that we hide behind our possessions or we believe that we somehow are really in control of having them and that no one will take them away. And if anyone wants to take away our possessions or our authority or our power, then we will negatively impact them. We have to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, our beautiful homes, and it's nice to live beautifully, they're only living quarters. They don't define us. You know, we're not expected to be Reb Chaim Kanievsky. I'm sure you know the story. People were spreading rumors that kitchens did not require a mezuzah. They said Reb Chaim Kanievsky doesn't have a mezuzah on his kitchen. And someone asked him, or they asked his rabbitson. They said, no, obviously a kitchen requires a mezuzah if it's the size that would require. But his kitchen and her kitchen were so, they were so small, it didn't require a mezuzah, not because it was a kitchen, but because of the size. Most of us won't be satisfied with that, and that's okay. But we shouldn't put our faith into our homes and all of our investments. We have to have our faith in the Rebbeinu Shalom. The way the Rabbeinu Bachya ends this incredible essay is, Ad Masai, until when? Ma'antalanos mipanai, will we refuse 
to be humbled in front of Hashem. He's quoting over here actually from Yeshayahu. To appreciate that Hashem is ultimately the controller, the sustainer, and of course everything that we have is a gift that could be taken away in a moment. This should not depress us, but it should humble us that no home is really big enough to accommodate an ego. But in spite of that, hopefully we're able to develop ourselves and work on ourselves. And even though Hashem is so far away, the Rebona Shalom is totally accessible, that we are visitors in His home and that we are really at the core individuals who are dependent on the Rebona Shalom. So when we look at Paro and we look at Nebuchadnezzar and you look at Achashverosh or you look at political leaders today, it's okay to do an evaluation about them, but it's so much more important to do self-reflection and self-analysis as individuals, as a nation, within our families. Important discussions for Shabbat, not only boot camp, but at the Shabbat table. For the second piece today, and as well for the third piece, I want to offer somewhat of a tribute to my rabbi growing up, the rabbi of my shul, you know, I say I have a Rebbe, Raparnas, and my rabbi was Rebbe Schoenfeld, and I've spoken about him in the last month. We observed the Shloshim this past week. And I'm going to use two of his famous favorite commentaries for the rest of the year. I never heard these particular insights from him, but I'm sure he was aware of them. And they're from different worlds. That was his greatness. He would draw from the Rav, he would draw from Rav Hirsch, he would draw from the Ger Rebbe. And let's pick something from Rav Hirsch right here. We know, of course, that Rav Samson Raphael Hirsch was the leader of German Jewry. What people are not aware of is when he came to Frankfurt, there were 11 families. He left much more prestigious positions, and he ultimately builds up Frankfurt and becomes the model of what we call Torah Derech Eretz, to be sophisticated in the secular realm, but obviously always embedded in a Torah lifestyle. And there's so much more to say about him. He still has an influence, a living influence. He has so many works that as important as his commentary on Chumash, we have his Chorev, we have his commentary on Tehillim. We live with the teachings of Rav Hirsch. But I want to share with you something from this parsha. We come in this parsha to the Arba Lashonos of Geula, for the four languages, the expressions of redemption. What does Geula mean? And in particular, what does the Pasuk mean when the Pasuk says, and I will redeem you. So I want to give a little background, which obviously is not found in Rav Hirsch. You know, there was an article this past week in the Wall Street Journal, many people are quoting it, about the Exodus. The influence of the Exodus on the American historical perspective of redemption, emancipation, and revolution. And this author, it's a very interesting article, but he says there's something missing in the book of Exodus until you get to Parsha Truma Tetzava, and that is the personal relationship with God. 
because he says the law, which is found especially in Yitro and Mishpatim, fails to address the deep longing of human beings to be in touch with what is highest and best. I'm very happy to share the source with you from the article. But what this author is actually missing is Rav Hirsch. Because Rav Hirsch says, we don't have to wait until we come to a sanctuary to have this rendezvous with Hashem in the Mishkan and Truma Tetzava. Every single one of us has a deep connection with God. This is not a Hasidic idea. I spoke a few weeks ago how Rabbi Salavechik develops this idea through Yaakov, who says, the Lord is my shepherd. Hashem was with me. Hashem was my friend. And this is exactly what Rav Hirsch points out. The Ga'alti. The language of Ga'alti is the language of an intimate connection with Hashem. I will be your redeemer. You know, we have a halacha, a goal hadam, an immediate relative who redeems his, his relative who unfortunately was killed. Or in the book of Rus, we have the Goel. We have Yaakov, this is not found in the first, but I'm adding it, who says, Hamalach HaGoel, Osi, the Malach who redeemed me. What Rav Hirsch says, and I'm going to give you the Hebrew translation, I'll, I'll actually give you now the English of Hebrew, which is a translation of the German, because he wrote this for German Jews to understand what's happening, that we have all these huge buildings around us, and maybe you're being intimidated by these huge temples. It connects to our first point. Rav Hirsch was dealing at a point where the reform movement and others were dominating the world, dominating the Jewish world, and he tried to develop the self-esteem of the Orthodox Jew. And let me quote in English, In Egypt you have no relatives, no soul that feels itself injured by the mishandling that you suffer. You have relatives, but you have no one who's trying to protect you. But you know what? I, Hashem, will stand up as your relative. Because when you're injured, I'm injured. And I am hurt when any of my children is hurt. And that is what we're supposed to strive for, to believe, as the Torah is telling us in its MS, that Hashem is not this distant figure. It's true, Hashem could intimidate us. We are finite and Hashem is infinite. But we should feel that we have this connection. And Hashem is saying to the Jews of Mitzrayim, through Moshe, I am your redeemer. I'm not just the creator and the sustainer. I could redeem any one of you, and I want to. You know, there's a song in Israel today called Ani Rotzeh. It's a beautiful song by Idan Amedi. And he has in the song, he says, Ani Rotzeh milim liot karov leelohim. I don't want Hashem only looking at my father and my grandfather. I want Hashem to see me. And we believe that Hashem does see us. It's not just Moshe. It's not just Aaron. It's not just Miriam. But each of us should see, because it's the truth, God as my Redeemer. And this was the faith that Moshe was trying to communicate to the Jewish people took a long time because a slave, it's hard to him to believe this. But that's what it means that Hashem is Hagoel. Think about this. When we put our children to sleep at night, or we put ourselves to rest and we sing Hamalach Hagoel Osi, Hashem loves you and Hashem will redeem you. For the last piece today, as I pointed out, I want to go to one of my rabbi's favorites, the Svas Emes. Rabbi Schoenfeld happened to be a, a Ger Chassid. It's not a happened to be. He loved Ger. He was very close with many of Ger, with many of the Rebbes. 
But now we go back to an early Rebbe, the Svas Emes. The Svas Emes was actually the grandson of the Chidush Arim. The Svas Emes was orphaned at an early age. You know, we have so many commentaries who had their own challenges. I quoted the Rabbeinu Bachia, the first source. He was impoverished for most of his life. The Svas Emes, he lost his parents at a young age. He was raised by his grandfather. It was a privilege but only because he lost his parents. Did he have this privilege? I'm sure he would have loved to have his parents there. But he benefited from being with the Chedusha Yarim. And the Svas Emes was extremely humble. He refused on his grandfather's death to be appointed the Rebbe of the Ger Hasidus. It only took place after four years of the community lobbying him, and there was another Rebbe in between. So he points out a conflict between two psukkim. Vaidaber Moshe Kainel B'nai Yisrael. Moshe talks to the B'nai Yisrael. And we're told, V'lo Shamuel Moshe Kasha. They weren't ready, ready to hear the Rav Hirsch that I pointed out. They were so wiped out. As the Svas says, their souls were so much into Galut, not only their bodies, they couldn't even listen to Moshe, who was trying to be a human redeemer for them. Redeemer for them. And the reason why they didn't listen, as we spelled out, is Mikotza Rachamevodakasha. But then we have a few psukim later, in Paragvav Yudbei, six twelve, Aidabi Moshe Hashem or Moshe speaks in front of Hashem and he says, Hain Bene Yisrael, Oshumoilai. They don't listen to me. How is Paro gonna listen to me? I'm not great with my speech. But how about the Jewish people? The Jewish people didn't listen because it was Mikotzer Rachmevodikash. It has nothing to do with Aral Svasayim. So why is he bringing this up to Paro? Everyone appreciates the question, I assume. Moshe is saying Paro's not going to listen to me because I'm an Aral Svasayim. So why is he bringing up the fact that the Jews aren't listening to me? And he says in the same pasuk, Vani Aral Svasayim. It sounds like the Jews aren't going to listen to me because I can't speak. He doesn't say anything here about the real reason that the Jews didn't listen to him was because they were too wiped out. So the Svas Emes points out something. It's such a beautiful idea, and it's so pshat. He said, first of all, the Torah never tells us that Moshe knew why the Jewish people were not listening. God, in writing the Torah, is spelling out the objective fact. And this says something about Moshe. You see, Moshe did not walk around and say, look at these Jews. They have no soul left. They are not going to listen no matter what I do for them. Moshe said, maybe I'm not speaking to them in a clear enough way. Maybe I'm not a charismatic figure, or maybe I don't have the words or the talent or the physical ability to communicate to them the way I should. I wish I could help them more. And if I can't do that to my own nation, who I feel so close to, how could I do that to the wicked Paro? Vaniya Raswasayim is the humility of Moshe. And it's a lesson also. It's not only a description, but it's a prescription for us that we should look at ways to try to reach people. And if we're not reaching them, it's easy to blame them. But maybe sometimes we need to look in the mirror. Now Hashem says to Moshe, don't give up, just like Hashem's saying to all of us. Sometimes you need a partner, you need a group, you need our own. But it's still your responsibility. But we should always look, not to put ourselves down, 
But as opposed to blaming someone else for not listening to us, maybe there's an issue with how we're communicating. Maybe we're not being sensitive enough to them. And this reflects the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu and hopefully the model for all of us. So these parshios we know so well, we read them every year, we go over them through Pesach, but hopefully through the great Rabbeinu Bachia, with a tremendous assist from Rav Hirsch and an inspirational message from the Svas Emes, we will work on our self-appreciation, on our humility, and hopefully the ability to reach others. Have a great Shabbos.